This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the TP5 and 5X. Try it. What's the best that can happen? Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Good morning, Canada. Welcome inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks. Part of our year in review special series today on the show we're going to take a look back at the 2023 men's majors the masters the pga championship the u.s open and the open championship we're going to take a deep dive into each major maybe some moments you forgot the winners the losers all of the above and we have to start with the masters and john rom obviously won the tournament but bob John Rahm's Masters didn't get off to the greatest start, did it? Especially on that first screen with the four-putt double bogey, didn't it? <laughs> he was certainly uh, one of the guys that everybody had their eye on. And coming in, and as you said, when you start off like that with a little four-whack, it goes, whoa, what do we got going here? And and I think that maybe just is what he needed, a little kick in the rear end to get himself going and get himself back in play. And really from there, you know, it was... I don't want to say it wasn't uh, an exciting Masters because it was. There were some good, exciting moments. But the two things that I'll certainly remember were John Rahm sort of cruising down the finish line to the win and also the weather, which was some of the worst weather I think I've ever seen at Augusta National. I've been down there a lot of times, and it wasn't much worse than that. So uh, as much as those players had to survive what Augusta National normally gives them, there were certainly a lot of patience and a lot of weather conditions, a lot of soggy weather and cold. The other part was just the cold as well. It was a tough Masters to get through, and John Rum certainly persevered. Well, it was certainly wild, too. Now, Mark, we were in the cozy studio that is at TSN watching Bob and Graham and James and everyone just freeze out there. But how the temperature really dropped from... Earlier in the week, guys were sweating in short, and not shorts, but in pants, and and it was hot. And then from Friday to Saturday, it just went zoop and dropped all the way down. But can you recall, Mark, the coldest you've ever been at Augusta? Um, I don't think I've ever experienced cold during a an official tournament round mm-hmm. the way Bob experienced it the last time around. I remember the year that Weirzy won in 03. It was super wet and damp, especially early in the week, Bob. Yeah. But I don't remember yep. it ever getting as cold as that. One of the years that Zach Johnson or Trevor Immelman won, one of those years was cool because I remember it turned into a wedge fest that even the longer hitters weren't getting to some of the par fives that year and two because of the wind and, and the cold and the damp. But I don't know if it was as cold as what Bob experienced uh, last year. Um, I will be as bold as to say I found the Masters not that captivating again this year. And, and, and this is a tournament that I think we all look forward to, like the Ryder Cup, where, you know, the minute, when do you stop thinking, when do you start thinking about next year's Masters? The day after this year's Masters, right? That's the, the joke. But for the last couple of years, we have not really gotten those roars on Sunday and the duel and the coming down to the wire. We got a bit of a parade again this year. And John Rahm was the hottest player in the world at the time and, and, and deserving champion. No one, sur- there was no surprise there to me, guys, the biggest surprise of the masters this year or what I'll remember it for 
is what transpired in the, in second and third. I mean, if I had told you that on a Sunday where Brooks Kepka had a chance to win a major, that he would get beat by 10 shots by Phil Mickelson in the final round. Phil Mickelson beat Brooks Kepka on Sunday by 10 shots. Mickelson shot 65 to Kepka's 75 with a chance to win. That's got to be one of the most mind-boggling Sunday stats you could pull all this year because Phil Mickelson, by all accounts, was dead and buried when we got to Augusta, right? He looked completely lost in the wilderness, and Kapka just doesn't crack under pressure at majors, correct? Yet Mickelson, an old man, beats him by 10 shots. It's crazy to think, too, in terms of entertainment factor in the final round. Obviously, 2019, when Tiger Woods won the Masters, I mean, it seemed like all of the top 10 in the world was just knocking on the door right there. But since then, you got Dustin Johnson in 2020, the the November Masters, which wasn't really that close on the back nine or the second nine. The Xander Shoffley Hideki Matsuyama four second duel when uh, there was a big change on the 15th hole and then Shoffley rinsed his tee shot on 16. Scotty Scheffler, it seemed maybe a little closer at the end when Rory McIlroy holed out in the the greenside bunker on 18 and Scotty Scheffler four putted, which was crazy. And then this, a four shot victory for John Rahm. I mean, it was dominant for sure, but... Brooks Kepka was a big story in majors in 2023, which we'll get to uh, in our next segment for sure. But Bob, he was pretty honest throughout the week. Brooks was about the journey it had been health wise, where he didn't really know if he was ever going to play competitive golf, which is a big reason why he took the pot of dough from live. But were you surprised or how surprised were you to see Brooks Kepka back contending the way he was at the masters? I think I think you have to be you have to be a little bit surprised just because of how he had played leading into that. On the other side, he's played so well at that tournament before, and really he admitted afterwards that sort of some miscalculations in round three. He something he won't tell us what it is. He won't say what what he did at the, in in the third round that caused him to play so poorly and fall behind. You know those two things sort of stand out. But I think for me, what I'll remember most about the final day were the two sh- the, the two holes, thirteen and fourteen, the way that John Rahm played those. Like he plays a fade off the tee. He hit a beautiful draw. And I remember Mark and I talking about that afterwards, how he hit this beautiful draw. I mean, that's under pressure at the end in the last round. And you can go to that shot. That's when you know you have control of your game. And then on 14, this may have been something to do with the weather, but he hit his approach shot from, I think it was in the first cut, if I'm right. And it just, it, it could have had the potential to spin way, way back, but it didn't. It spun back, cozied up to the hole. And you wonder if that was maybe just because of the conditions where they were. But those two holes to me were what won him the 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 the, the green jacket. Mark? I have a question for you guys because mm-hmm. this has been on my brain ever since I knew we were going to do this show. And it's certainly going to come up at the U.S. Open part of our show. But the reason people love major championships or one of the reasons is they love the identity, what they stand for. You know, the old, the old open championship is historic, played on Lynx golf, set up by Mother Nature. The U.S. Open is supposed to be the sternest, hardest uh, test in golf, where if you miss a fairway, you're going to take your medicine. The PGA is the most overall player friendly, but check your boxes, a little bit of everything, but nothing too severe, but a good examination through through. And Augusta is about the roars and the volatility and the eagles and the hole in ones. 
And next year, we're going to push the tee back on 13 again. And yes, weather had a part to do due to it this year where we saw John Rahm as the only player in double digits. But I will argue, guys, that we are going the wrong way at Augusta and getting longer and getting more difficult and having it more difficult to get to double digits is the opposite of what people love about the Masters. And some of my favorite Masters and some of the greatest moments we've ever seen in Masters histories and when guys are shooting 30 on the back nine on Sunday. So are we losing the identity or are we going at the very least in the wrong direction? I ask you both. I, I, I think that I'll reserve judgment on that. I agree with what you're saying that the course has changed a little bit of complexion, but certainly last year it's hard to, you know, they had to play a lot of golf in a short period of time. The weather was a huge factor there. And I just kind of wonder if there was something to that, that might have, contributed to the sort of flat ending of it i guess and and but you're right the last couple of years there hasn't been the real tight race with the roars on sunday that you hear down there i would i would agree with you on that point and whether that's the golf course the golf golfers or the weather i'm not sure but um we could use a really close tight maybe even a playoff finish at the masters this coming year for sure now, it's been a long time since we've seen a playoff at the Masters. You got to go back to Sergio Garcia and Justin Rose back in 2017. That thrilling finish. But Mark, yeah, to your point, there's something that's been, it's weather dependent for sure. Is it a, a, a pin location thing? Maybe to switch up some pins for the, the second nine, perhaps. Uh, but it's a couple, I mean, I know inter earlier in the week, um, before all the rain came in at points, the greens were certainly firm. Maybe Here's what I think round. is going on too, Skulls. I think just because all the yardage is there doesn't mean you have to use it. Mm -hmm. And I think we have become fixated on the final number. So we are setting these golf courses up regardless of weather. So difficult on Thursday and Friday to keep the lead in check so that when we get to Saturday and they let the horses now out of the barn, that number is not going to be 22 under. That number is now going to be 12, 13, 14 because we held it back. Uh, for Thursday, Friday. I don't care. I'm with Bob. Maybe the greatest open championship I've ever seen with my own eyes was Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson. And they tore that place apart and made birdie after birdie. And no one was fixated on what the winning score was going to be. And I, I hope we get back to that this year at Augusta. Well, someone who wasn't around for the weekend at the Masters was Rory McIlroy. And Rory's going to be Rory's going to be a theme on this show uh, for the next 45 minutes or so as we're on the air here. But something, he's tried everything at the Masters. Something's got to change. Bob, is it mental? Is it physical? Does he have to show, show up there on Wednesday night this year and just not play a practice round? Like, what do you think about Rory? I don't know. Maybe he should, maybe he should put on blinders and just go out and see if he can feel his way around the golf course. I mean, you wonder what it is about this golf course that he has played so well at certain times. Remember the round, the final round on Sunday two years ago. But there's just something about it, it seems to whether it's the start, um, whether he's forcing it too much. I don't know. He doesn't know the answer yet. So until he finds it, we'll never know exactly what it is. But it's certainly the most odd statistic of a guy who is one of the best players in the world that he just can't really can't even really get into competition, except sometimes through the back door at the finish line. I'm going to ask both you guys about if Rory is going to win a major in 2024 later in the show. But Mark, for you, just Rory at the Masters, like what can he do? I don't think there's anything you can do. I think the elephant's too big in the room. And if you keep asking the questions and trying this, you almost try too hard. I think, un unfortunately, 
if it does happen for Rory, which is a huge if, and the ifs get bigger every year, it happens in a Ben Crenshaw or Sergio Garcia manner. It's he's well past his prime. He's no longer uh, at the top of tier of of of, of the bet, betting action coming in. This is you know someone who is kind of flying under the radar, and maybe somebody we're no longer speaking of. You know, maybe he's 25th in the world, 40th in the world, something like that, and has four special days and gets it done. As long as Rory McIlroy is still the face of the game, top five in the world, yada, 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 it's just, I think it's just too much. I think it's just too overwhelming. Well, and one of the strange moments of 2023 was Rory McIlroy doing a walk and talk interview during the first round, which was just bizarre. I know he was trying to help and promote golf more on the PGA Tour in that sense, but still just weird timing. Uh, for John Rahm, the fourth Spaniard to win a green jacket, he gets it done his second career major championship. Well, someone who's won a bunch of major championships, a big redemption story. That's our story when we come back here on GTC. It is Brooks Kepka at the PGA Championship. This is our 2023 Men's Major Year in Review special on Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade and the TP5 and 5X. Try it. What's the best that can happen? This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to find affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit caddytime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. Welcome back inside our 2023 Men's Major Year in Review special here on GTC. Adam Scully, Bob Weeks, Mark Sacchino. So we just recapped the Masters won by John Rahm. The next month, the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. And the East Course at Oak Hill had a renovation done by one Andrew Green. Mark, you had a chance to interview Andrew Green before the PGA championship that week, just overall the golf course itself. What did you think? Yeah, I thought one of the best renovations I've seen, I, I've had the pleasure of playing a lot of the old classics that have just been renovated. Uh, Congressional Marion, uh, Oakland Hills, uh, Oak Hill walking it for the four days. This is one of the best ones. This is right up there. Uh, kept the, a lot of tree removal, but kept the identity of Oak Hill in place with key strategic, large Oaks still in place rough still very much a part of this championship it's the pga championship in general has become the opposite of the u.s open it's cemented it, its identity it's what would a u.s open look like if mike davis didn't screw it up for 15 years that's what the pga championship has become right we've got a winner in single digits at nine under you had to keep it in the fairway but the rough wasn't so penal that you weren't able to sometimes choose whether you were going to hit a shot, but you had to make a choice. Is this lie good enough to advance to the green or do I go out sideways? It is the smartest tough challenge of the year on an annual basis. The leaderboard shows it. PGA has gone the opposite direction. It, we know what its identity is now. And uh, I thought the, the rental was great. And we got, got possibly guys, possibly the best major of the year. I, I, you know, I would think so. Disappointing from a Canadian perspective. Obviously, we all wanted a different Sunday for Corey 
I think Corey finding the bunker on 17 on Saturday with the, one of the most unlucky breaks we're going to see all all season uh, kind of changed things. But all that being said, uh, I think the best major of 23. Yeah, there are a number of major storylines from that PGA championship. The Kepka redemption story, Corey Connors coming up just short, like you mentioned, that bad break on Saturday. This was also a fashion show of sorts for uh, rain suits. Uh, if you guys remember <laughs> that Saturday where the apparel company that Rory and Scotty Scheffler used, Nike, they were wearing a rain suit that was kind of brown it was like a brown rain suit they had the lid on backwards mark you mentioned the first good decision on the golf course starts in the closet but i mean color scheme wise bob and graham and i were there and graham actually stopped rory mcelroy thought he was a a parking attendant and asked him if the parking lot was usable because of the rain he went oh sorry rory Uh, my my apologies right but i mean bob you were on location obviously for these majors but can you recall another year given what we saw at the masters weather-wise and at Oak Hill, especially that Saturday, in terms of bad weather in the early portion of the major calendar. <laughs> no, I mean it's been uh, it's been pretty miserable. And then you throw in what happened. I know we'll talk about this later in the show. You throw in what happened at the Open Championship, and I mean it's uh, it was a pretty lousy year in terms of weather-wise. But that that was a, a different one. It wasn't it wasn't horrendous rain. I guess at time I guess I shouldn't say. That. I guess at times it was horrendous rain. But at least we got the good finish. And you got Kepka playing basically flawless golf. I, I just sort of, he, he is to me, weather, course, whatever it is, he's the toughest guy out there when it comes to playing good golf. Like he can just grind like no other person that I've ever witnessed, I don't think. I mean, when it, when it gets lousy like that or when something happens, he's able to put all that aside, just go forward and straight forward. So to see him getting through, but it was miserable. I mean, it was... It was not a great day at the start, but it wasn't wasn't as bad as the Masters. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the cold part to it, right? And you know, you mentioned Kepka's toughness, and when he won his first two Wanamaker trophies, he really had to display that toughness and focus. He looked back at 2018 at Bell Reve when everybody on that property wanted Tiger Woods to win. And then Adam Scott was right there too. It was Mr. Nice Guy and Kepka pulls through. You think back at 2019 at Bethpage when fans were chanting DJ, DJ, because they wanted him to come back and win. Walt Brooks did what he did. Mark, I mean, live aside for, for Brooks Kepka. This is just a remarkable perseverance story to come back the way he did. We saw that Netflix series last year where he was basically saying he was down in the dumps and perhaps done with golf, but just how... How special was this performance for Brooks Kepka? I think it, it's it's extremely uh, remarkable when you consider that he's doing this from the live tour. Uh, it makes it even more remarkable. The injuries, the self-confidence, the doubt, and then going to live and really not playing in an environment conducive for competition or uh, conducive of trying to keep up with the world's best. And we said it time and time again last year, that if you're going to go to play on live and yet, and you want to remain relevant on a global scale outside of live tour, it was really going to come down to you, right? If you just played live golf and kind of just went in your team and kind of did your thing, then when you got off live golf, you're probably going to get run over by a truck. But if you put those hours in away from the golf course, because you want to be the guy, you want to be relevant, you want to play, perform in majors and play well that it really came in what you were going to do 
you know, away from the live tour. And I think Kepka is a perfect example of how bad he wanted to remain relevant, how bad he wanted to get back and what he put in to get there and love him or hate him. Cause you know, I'm not the biggest Kepka fan in the world. You have to admire and, and applaud what he achieved. It, absolutely incredible. I will say this guys, I find interesting looking forward you know, the PGA Championship at Rochester was a perfect venue for Kepka. If you look at where he's won and the and how important it was to drive it long and straight. If it's a driving competition, he is a hard guy to beat, right? Remember Beth Page and things of that nature. Um, Augusta might be his best shot at a major in 24. He plays well at Augusta, but the rest of the venues are not Kepka venues. Valhalla, Pinehurst, uh, then an open venue right True. back to Lynx golf i mean we're not going to see that big new york thick rough ballpark that he loves so much we're not going to get that this year Bob? I, I will i will add one thing one important thing about this if there was one distraction that was going on that week for brooks kepka we found it when we were doing our interview our post round after he won the championship he is a die hard Florida Panthers fan. Yes. And they were right in the battle with the Maple Leafs. <laughs> and he had come up. Actually, I can't remember if they'd already vanquished them or not, but that's all he wanted to talk about. When we found out we were, you know, TSN, he said, hey, guys, I want, and he was going on and on about naming the players and everything that was going on. So he'd actually stayed up late the night before to try and watch a, a, a match, even though he had an early tea time. So it was, he is diehard hockey fan. Well, then it was revealed that Kepka was actually in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena for one of the Leafs-Panthers playoff games. And stay tuned for another episode of our Your Interview series when I have a prediction about Brooks Kepka at the Masters. You'll have to <laughs> wait and see and hear that, Mark. Bob, Bob, do you remember the town we stayed in, that little town? We were like 35 minutes, 40 minutes to golf course each day. I will just say one of the highlights of the major golf season is the TSN uh, PGA crew dominating trivia night on Friday night at the local pub in the middle of nowhere. We, we strolled into town like Clint Eastwood with the man with no name and won the big. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I think we'll have to save that for another edition of our year in review series where we talk about <laughs> trivia, but we, we can't leave the PGA championship without talking about the block party. And no one really knew who Michael block was mainstay media, that sort of thing, or fans of, of that sort too. But just, Bob, how remarkable was this for Michael Block to do what he did overall and earn a berth into the 2024 PGA Championship? You know, the one thing that always happens at the PGA Championship, they get 20 club professionals who get entries. And majority of the time, it's a huge thing if one of them makes the cut. That's usually what they, they sort of market on, you know, because most of these guys – Although they probably got some tournament experience, like Michael Block, he's played, I think he played in a dozen PGA Tour events over the years. Um, but he he actually sort of fought himself into semi-contention, I guess, and was just a cool story because of how he was doing it. And he was sort of the Walter Mitty underdog. You'd, you'd never believe this could happen. And then he gets paired with Rory McIlroy. Like, everything just seemed to keep <laughs> flowing in his favor. And then, of course, that hole-in-one, uh, followed by that dramatic finish. I don't think, I don't even think he realized how hard that finish was, um, but it was, it was pretty remarkable and fun. It was kind of a fun sidebar to the main story of what was going on there. And Mark and I got to spend some time with him, of course, out of Glen Abbey a little bit later on with the uh, Michelob Ultra uh, moment. But I, I just think that uh, he, he's a cool guy happened to him. It was fun, fun to watch. And that, that's, that's kind of, it's not a bad thing for golf when those things happen, you know, it, it, it the, 
crowd loved it. I think everybody pretty much loved it. So, Mark, does this give you any motivation? We got the RBC Canadian Open coming. Do you, you know, are we gonna hone the game in the off season, get back on there the stack be, system? Are we gonna deadlift together and you know get you into shape? What do you think? There will be no, uh, there will right. be no trying to qualify for anything. There will be no stack. There will be nothing. Uh, there might be more Brunello, and uh, <laughs> I don't. That might be my program. I have to figure that out. Uh, you know, Bob knew Michael, I didn't by the time we got to our event at the Canadian open and Bob said, Oh, you know, he's super nice, super engaging guy. And, and, and Bob was a thousand percent right. He was so cool to hang out with at Glen Abbey. He is a nice guy. It is a great story. And I should add that in 2023, the Zucchino household had a new drinking game invented by Mrs. Golf Talk Canada. Every time Adam used the term block party, Someone in the Zucchino <laughs> household needs to take a shot. So uh, at some point when we run this, uh, this uh, year review, uh, we just, you just gave us another shot. Uh, Mrs. Golf Talk, her choice is to, she, tequila. She's a tequila. She'll, she'll go take a shot. Okay. Well, hopefully you don't play this on repeat or maybe block that off for your alarm clock or something, because that could get a little. <laughs> your Anyways, Michael Block, Brooks Kepka, the two big storylines from the PGA championship and shout out to victor hovland too who went toe-to-toe with brooks kepka down the stretch perhaps a springboard for the rest of his 2023 when we come back the u.s open lacc so much prestige and intrigue around this course itself and well it was an interesting u.s open to say the least we'll recap the u.s open next this segment of gtc presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by caddy time the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to add affordable, qualified caddies to any round. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Visit weathertech.ca. Welcome back to our 2023 Men's Major Recap Special here on GTC, Scully, Weeks, and Zucchino. So we look back, John Rahm winning the Masters, Brooks Kepko winning the PGA Championship, then the U.S. Open at LACC. And we have to start things off before the tournament actually began, because the Sunday before the U.S. Open was the RBC Canadian Open, where what, maybe 14, 15 hours after Nick Taylor drained that miraculous putt after your iconic call. Mark, you guys were both on a plane going to L.A. Bob, what do you remember about that whole whirlwind experience going from Nick Taylor winning and then jumping on a plane and probably falling asleep at some point uh, on your way to L.A.? A couple things stand out. Uh, One was that I, I couldn't walk 10 feet in the airport without someone coming up and, you know, wanting to talk about the win. Um, whether I was in line somewhere or in the lounge or lining up to get on the plane, you know, people just wanted to talk about it. Everybody was still riding this emotional high about what they'd seen. And then the second part was when we got to LA country club on uh, Tuesday morning, we had set up a time for Nick and we were set up, uh, Graham and I, and a cameraman and producer. And we, all of a sudden we saw Nick Taylor coming from the clubhouse. So the clubhouse to where we were set up was probably, if you were walking there slowly, it might take you a minute, minute and a half. Mm-hmm. And I bet it took Nick 20 minutes to get there because every time he took a step, somebody would come over and talk about it. Or, or you know, a lot of players who were walking by us in that area would stop and say, oh man, that was an amazing finish yesterday. I remember Rory doing it. I remember 
a bunch of players, just sort of everybody was still riding this wild feeling. But Mike Tirico stopping to talk to us, Bob. In Mike, that all season, the all right? the people in the media tent. I mean, it was almost like it was almost like they thought we won the tournament or something. You know, they were going congratulations, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't win the tournament. I was just there. But all, you know, the Golf Channel guys, all the media guys. You know, everybody was 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 talking about it. It was a it was a real high, and it wasn't. I think even if you weren't a Canadian, you could understand the emotion that went into that victory. So that was a pretty cool way to start the week off. Mark, for you, same question. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying with Bob, we, that, that little position we were in was kind of left of the first tee behind the 18th green and this kind of sliver of a roped off area, which is a whole story for the week of how bizarre the setup was here at LA yeah. Country Club. And not just from a, a, a perspective of, and I know, Adam, you have a bad taste in your mouth on this, as do I. Do you, when you have a one-shot lead going into the 72nd hole of the U.S. Open, you shouldn't have a target that's 88 yards wide. I'm with you a 1,000%. And we've spoken about majors and identities and losing your identities. And I think that is at the top of the food chain when we have that conversation. But in that conversation about identity and strange setups, it also is from a fan perspective. And when Bob and I and you, we all left the RBC Canadian Open and we were surrounded by 20,000 people on top of us and an energy that was unmatched the entire year on the PGA Tour. And our Open was the Open of 2023, hands down. There's not another Open that even touches it. And it was the, the greatest event of the, of the season on the PGA Tour. And then you go to LA Country Club and they sell a limited amount of tickets. And those tickets are only purchased by the members and the grandstands are pushed way back of the greens so that there's really no intimacy. Unlike what we had at the 72nd green at our own open, it was flat. And the high of the week was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when we were still celebrating Nick Taylor. And by the time we got to Thursday and Bob and I and Graham are doing our standups and, and coming to you in sports center, Adam, and we're going back and forth. It was really hard. And this is coming from me who never gets accused of not getting excited or bringing the energy. It was hard to care. It was hard to bring the energy. It was flat. And I just still wanted to talk about our, our own open. Uh, it was really hard. The other weird part about it was the location of the golf course, which was basically, you know, if you live in Toronto, imagine putting a golf course at Young and Bluer, because everywhere you looked were like skyscrapers all around you and big, there were some big houses too, some celebrity big LA homes on one side of it. But the, if you look behind the country, like the, the, the clubhouse, first of all, the first tee, you could reach out and touch someone sitting in the clubhouse on the, on the veranda. That's how close the tee was. And also all these skyscrapers all over the place was, it, it was a bizarre feel even being on the property. And from a golf course perspective itself, there's been single round records for the U.S. Open forever. And within a 30-minute span, poof, gone with Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley both shooting 62. And I remember you guys were doing your sports center hit after. And like, are we at the U.S. Open or are we at a pitch and putt over here? Because the course, Bob, just seemed super easy, at least on day one. Yeah, it did. And they, you know, I, again as Mark was pointing out, you know, these, the fairways were hard to miss. I mean, you didn't really have to, which is so unlike a U.S. Open generally, right? I mean, U.S. Opens are usually narrow and long grass and it was very different. Some of the holes just didn't seem to fit right. I don't know, to, to my eye anyway. Um, a lot of the players were started talking about the bizarre finish 
And there were a lot of holes that were like really close together. I mean, really close together where you could like where we were sit standing up, Mark, we, we, you know, we had a couple of greens all around there. So there was a lot of kind of awkward stops of play where you had to wait for one guy to finish. And so this guy could tee off and then this guy could putt. Um, so in that respect, it was just a, a little bit weird, but there wasn't a lot of teeth that I saw in it. If uh, maybe they were expecting wind, I don't know if there was something, but it didn't seem like the guys were in love with the golf course in any way, shape or form. It was like Aaron Hills. It was like Chambers Bay in that respect without the circus, without the crazy angling T decks or the rotation of par. Um, but we're going to go to a Piners this year, number two, which is a golf course I love. And it has a special place in, uh, historically speaking, with the game coming from Europe overseas to America. And, you know, it's probably the birthplace of, 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 of golf in North America, certainly in the U.S., is Piners. And the USGA is putting their second home there and yada, yada. But we're going to have another U.S. Open that doesn't have the identity of a U.S. Open. All the rough has been removed from Piners. They've exposed the sandy area. And it's not the most uh, severe native area unless they have infused more fescue grasses and more wild plant than the last time we were there. Most of the time you had a clear shot from a firm natural area piner. So I expect the same. And here we are in the, the losing your identity again. Where are the winged foots? Where are the oak moths? Where are the shinnecocks? Where are the, you know, the big giant tests of keeping it in the fairway where even par is a good score i don't we're not going to see that again and it's, it's the whole world starts to feel like this to me in 2023 you know when you got it wrong for a long period of time the human nature is we'll just swing really hard back in the opposite direction before we find the middle and that's what the u.s open feels like to me right now it feels like Mike Davis got it wrong for so many years that it now it is swung the other way to where it's no longer a U.S. Open and we're going to have to let it settle in and, 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 and land in the middle. I know in a couple of years after this Piners, I think we get back to some more traditional layouts for 25, 26, 27, et cetera. And, uh, and I think we'll finally find the sweet spot again. Well, love the course setup or hate the course setup. There was still a winner at the end of this, and that was Wyndham Clark, who <laughs> some would say came out of nowhere. He was playing in an opposite field event back in March. He didn't qualify for the WGC match play. He won two tournaments, including the U.S. Open. And Bob, when you spoke to him after the, the victory, he was talking about playing cocky, playing with that swagger. And he clearly had that on display, especially during that final round. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I was pretty impressed by his demeanor. I was pretty impressed by his golf game that week, especially on that Sunday. I mean, he's looking over his shoulder and there's Rory on the leaderboard one shot back and he didn't blink, you know, he really played some very, very solid golf. Uh, didn't get himself in trouble for the most part, really kind of played to the smart sides of the holes and the fats of the green coming down the stretch a little bit. I, I just thought that his game was, um, I thought it was it was it surprised me how good he was down that stretch with the field that was chasing him up the up the last few holes. Camp Smith was in there. I mean, there were some good players on there, and he didn't blink once. So give him full credit. I think you're going to hear more from him. I don't think he's a guy who's going to fade away. I think he's a guy you'll hear a little bit more from uh, in the coming years. 
and he was a member of that U.S. Ryder Cup team too. And Mark, that second shot he hit on the par 5 14th hole with a fairway wood, that was one of the great shots of the year in terms of being clutch. But we spoke about the 18th hole and whether he was, I don't think he was trying to hit a 45-yard cut or slice on purpose, whatever you, a peeler, if you will. But to still be in the fairway with that much on the line, to me, a little weird. Yeah, a thousand percent. It kind of was shocking. That should be one of the hardest tee shots you ever have to hit in your life. If you have a one-shot lead standing on the final hole of the U.S. Open, ask Phil Mickelson what that's like <laughs> in 2006 at Wingfoot, right? That, that's what a U.S. Open is supposed to be. And we didn't get it. We got ridiculous. Now, all that being said, everybody had to play the same golf course, and I'm with Bob. I think we're going to hear more from him. He's very talented, crazy ball speeds. And that peeler cut is his go-to shot. So, I mean, if there was a U.S. Open venue that does kind of fit the narrative of Wyndham Clark, this is it. Like, you did not – I mean, you could hit that peeler caught 40, 50 yards all day around this golf course get away with it, and you might be able to do it at Pinehurst for that matter. So, we're talking U.S. Open uh, Curtis Strange language here on uh, people going back-to-back. I mean, not suggesting he's going to do it, but he's getting back-to-back Wyndham Clark type venues where if you want to be a one-dimensional shot shaper and hit a 40-yard cut that you can trust all day, you can likely do it at Pinehurst just like you did at LACC. Okay, well, Wyndham Clark opened U.S. Open week with 75-1 to odds. He went on to win. Someone who opened with 120-1 to odds to win the Open Championship. Brian Harmon will recap Brian Harmon's Claret Jug victory when we come back here on GTC. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. Home to 80 great courses, 60 miles of sandy shores, endless dining and entertainment. Visit PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com to start planning your golf trip today. Welcome back inside our 2023 Men's Major Recap Special here on GTC. The last Men's Major in 2023 was the Open Championship. I personally love this tournament. I love waking up in the middle of the night, maybe get some coffee, some bacon and eggs, or whatever your drink of choice is. And you could look at this tournament in a couple of ways. You could look at it in terms of just how impressed one was from Brian Harmon winning by six shots, or you could look at it and saying this was a bit of a snooze fest. Bob, for you entertainment factor wasn't quite there but how impressed were you by brian Harmon's performance gotta love it when a lefty wins a major i mean that's uh (laughs) (laughs) mark and i as lefties you know we always like it you know we'd heard a lot of stories about brian Harmon being um his talent when he was coming up through through college and, and playing a lot and you always wondered if that was you know a lot of guys go through that route where they're great college players great maybe in their early days but just kind of flatlined to a certain extent but I'd always heard what a great player he was. And finally it kind of came through and it was really hard not to, not to be impressed by what he did. I mean, the opening 67, 65 in those first two rounds is, is, I don't know, you know, halfway through and you got a five shot lead at a major championship at the open championship. I was really impressed by how well he played and uh, how few, how few mistakes he made because even at Lynx golf, 
you get you get bad bounces, you get bad breaks, you get a bad lie in a bunker, and there were lots of that going around. I mean, you saw guys. I mean, I think Tony Fino hit a putter in in the bunker just to move it back from the wall so he could actually hit a full shot. He didn't seem to get it yet. He seemed to play smart the whole way through and uh, off the tee, especially his game was really, really solid. It set himself in going into those greens and he's a great putter. So get that mix at uh, both ends of your golf game. You're going to go far. And Mark, here's a guy. He was 120 to one pre-tournament on FanDuel to win, but he was playing some pretty good golf heading into the open championship from your perspective, just how impressed were you by Brian Harmon that week? Three things for the Open Championship really come to mind for me. If this was five years ago and Adam Scully wasn't a taken man, he would be watching the Open before he went to bed, Bob, not in the morning when he comes. (laughs) Wow. Number two, if you were going to tell me at the start of the year that a five foot seven crafty left hander won the Open Championship, Brian Harmon would have been the second name on my list. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. And number three, to Bob's point, he was the best driver of the golf ball at this tournament, correct? But and I'm going to screw up this stat, but I'm going to get it pretty close. But he was also 59 of 60 inside 10 feet for the tournament. He yeah. missed one putt in the 10 foot range across four rounds. So when the best driver in the tournament, to Bob's point, which I agree with, is the best putter at the same time, you get a snooze fest because you get a dominant performance. So we didn't get the drama. We didn't get the big captivating television that we all wanted. But we got quietly one of the best performances at a major championship we have seen in a decade, really. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's Brian Harmon. If this performance came from Rory, Rob, uh Hovland, like one of the stars of the game we would be gushing all over this performance and talking about it for months because it becomes sexy brian Harmon, trust me from another old five foot seven left-hander there's nothing sexy about that <laughs> well and you know brian Harmon said he was going to celebrate on his tractor afterwards uh I- that's one way to celebrate a life-changing victory. But anyway, what we did see at this Open, too, was carnage, was weather. And that's what the Open's all about. Bob, you were there in 2019 at Royal Portrush when they had to move the final round tee times up. I was also there as a fan. But can you recall, was that sort of the craziest weather-wise, maybe in comparison in recent memory? Uh, you know, the open I've been to, I've, I've done, I've had it where it's been extreme heat and we've had shorts and, you know, there's not much air conditioning over in the UK, but you sweat yourself. And I've been in ones where I've done my reports in a sports center wearing a toque. So you get all kinds of weather there and you're always prepared for it. The thing I think that I noticed about this one was that it was just, it it never stopped on, on Sunday, you know, just constant the entire round. And I don't know what I think Brian Harmon said he went through 12 gloves or something on that day because <laughs> you're just trying to keep them all dry. And that's that's as, as big a, a part of that win as anything. I mean, just being able to battle through the elements, let alone the guys who are chasing you up the fairway, uh, it to me was 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 just sort of a, a the, the mental fortitude to keep yourself in the game, not complain about it is, is a huge part of why he won. Hey, just a side note on this, complete side note, guys, but to bring it full circle and to bring it home to our friends and family here at Golf Talk Canada, Brian Harmon still using that tailor-made OS spider, right? That giant spider putter. 
the last OS spider that TaylorMade produced. And then people ran around eBay and ran around the internet looking to buy OS heads after, like we all do, after uh, Brian Harmon's incredible performance. This spring, part of the new spider line for the first time since that uh, Brian Harmon edition, TaylorMade's re re uh, releasing a spider tour OS model for the first time, I think in like 10 years. There you go. And Brian Harmon gets it done, his first ever major championship. Okay, about 90 seconds left, but I want to ask you guys about Rory McIlroy. Eight top tens in his last 10 majors. No major victories since 2014. Mark, is 2024 the year Rory McIlroy breaks the major drought? I hope so. I don't think so. He wins a gold medal. No major gold medal. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he wins the Masters. I really do. I I think he's got a good shot at both the Masters and at Troon for the for the Open Championship. I mean, he's he's got to get through some something. Now. <laughs> he's got to get through something to got to kind of do this. I honestly think that he is divesting himself. That's why he's off the policy board, making all sorts of arrangements to try and clear the slate and just say, you know what, for the next three or four years that I got at my peak of my career, I'm just going to play golf and try and go at those Masters. Hey, real quick, guys, I know we're running out of time. Something that we're probably going to be talking about next year that we haven't spoken about in 2023, micro-dosing in professional golf. Players looking to find what the what the secret is, what the problem is. From, from the stories I'm hearing, there are multiple tours around the world right now where guys have found their game. They are micro-dosing. So we'll see if this becomes a, uh, a rules violation, how this moves going forward, who experiments with these, these types of things. Because as to Bob's point, when you've tried everything. Yeah, you never know. Yep, maybe we'll see Rory putting left-handed. I don't know, probably not. But anyway, uh, fun to always look back on the major year. Really enjoy our year interview specials. Gentlemen, happy holidays. Hope you're enjoying some great time with friends and family. And we'll talk to you both early in 2024. Thanks so much for joining us today. And remember, the first good decision for the golf course always starts in the closet. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to Hour 1 of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network.